If you have your Bibles, go with me please to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, this is the second week in our Reach Out series. How do we reach our friends, our family members, and how do we talk to someone that we've never even met about the Gospel? We'll go ahead and read the text, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, and we'll go through verse number 17. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another." It's an amazing passage to where Jesus breaks down what true Christianity and true faith family relationships, or we could say true church life, actually looks like. He begins with a commandment that says simply, love one another to the same degree, in the same manner, to the same extent that I have loved you. What an amazing passage from our Lord Jesus Christ. We're just going to get very real this morning. Is that okay? We're going to talk on this subject. Real friends don't let friends go to hell. That if we are a friend, that if I am a true friend to you and you do not know Jesus Christ, it is my duty, it is my goal that I am going to do whatever I can to stop you from going to hell. Now here's where it gets kind of difficult because you say, Jeff, well what about my friends? They don't even believe in the gospel. They don't believe that there is a hell. They think that they're a good person. Even if there is a heaven and even if there is a hell, they think that they're going to be okay. What we're doing on Wednesday nights is it was absolutely fantastic this past Wednesday night. We had great turnout and great discussions. I'm learning things from you guys. We're looking at ways on Wednesdays at 7 how to combat and how to come back with good answers to people who don't believe in the truth of the gospel. Since this is Sunday morning, it's just a push that we do not let our friends go to hell if it Anything can be done. You've got your outline there. I'm going to give you, we're going to go through this rather long quote by Richard Baxter. Um, we normally don't have quotes this long, but it was so good. I thought about shortening it, but I like, I'm like, we're going to leave the whole thing in there. He's a pastor, uh, several hundred years ago, was very influential in England, and this is what he says about friendship and hell. He says, and I quote, friendship must be cemented by piety. In other words, devotion to Christ. So what he's saying just out of the gate is that if we have a true friendship, the gospel has to be what's holding it together. He says a wicked man cannot be a true friend. And if you befriend their wickedness, you show that you are wicked yourselves. Pretend not to love them if you favor their sins and seek not their salvation. By favoring their sins, you will show your enmity or your opposition to God. And then how can you love your brother? 
If you be their best friends, help them. This is so good. If you be their best friends, help them against their worst enemies. And think not all sharpness or abruptness inconsistent with love. Parents correct their children, and God Himself chastens every son whom He receiveth. Augustine says, Better it is to love even with the accompaniment of severity than to mislead by excess of lenity. That's heavy-duty stuff. And what this pastor is saying to us from several hundred years ago, he's echoing the words of Jesus, saying that if we truly love our friends, if we are actually their friend, we will not ultimately beat around the bush. Now, we've got some friendly people in Franklin County. It's a friendly place. We're known for being a county. If you talk to people who have moved into the lake, uh, they'll say that people in Franklin County wave to you. Have you noticed that if you're not from Franklin County? A lot of times people will wave to you. We do a good job at being friendly. We do a good job at connecting with people and being warm and not just looking like they're not even there. But the question is, are we willing to be a real friend and say it is over my dead body that you as my friend would eventually go to hell? So you say, Jeff, what are the, what are the steps to developing a friendship So we actually reach out so our friends get saved. Number one, here's the game plan. We have to reject the cultural idea that friendship solely revolves around mutual interests. Christ followers follow Christ and thus befriend those unlike themselves. Let me give you several verses. They're listed in your outline. I'm just going to read them to you. What the Bible says about true friendship. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse or many are the kisses of an enemy. Let me stop right there. Often in the South especially, we say, well, I, I have these lost friends. They need to be saved, but I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be abrupt. I don't want to be like like sandpaper to them. Notice what the Bible says, that the wounds of a friend, faithful or many they are. That means that if you are really their friend, you will, please hear me on this, you'll be more concerned about their eternal welfare, their eternal destiny, than you will about them being offended and mad at you. So in other words, what we're talking about here, what the Bible is telling us, is that if we are a true friend to them, we make the decision to care for their fate over our Feelings, And that is a decision that each one of us has to come to individually. Proverbs 27, 9 and 10. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest counsel means really in-depth. I'm going to get in here. I'm going to show you what's wrong. I'm going to show you what's right. And often what do we do? When the situation gets heavy, when it gets intense, we kind of bow out. Don't do that. Proverbs, uh, the verse 10, it says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And then tucked into the epic of Job, Job chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. 21st century language, if we do not share the gospel with our friends, it means that we don't fear God and our faith is essentially a joke. Notice, read it again with me. 
Job 6.14, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. What kinder thing could we do to our friends than give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jude verse 22, there's only one chapter. The Bible says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So what that means is that if you have been genuinely saved here today, God has created within you the heart of a firefighter. Now, I love talking to police officers and firefighters because when there are gunshots and when things are going off and buildings are burning down, everyone else is running away and the police officers and the firefighters run to the tragedy. That's heroism. And by the way, I've said this before, if you ever get pulled over for speeding and you're speeding and the officer gives you a ticket, often we think that the officer is a jerk. Here's a good way to fix that problem. Don't speed and obey the law. And those of you who know my past in Franklin County know that I'm trying to do that more and more because I have gotten tickets here as a pastor. All right? So we're going to we're going to move on. I'm, that's one that the preacher said I'm going to preach that to myself as well. But what it means, this is so cool. I think often, we talked about this some last week, Satan will give us these lies like like this. like You don't know enough to lead a person to Jesus Christ. And we say lead a person to Jesus Christ, it means simply to explain to them what Christianity is, how they can be saved to the point they're like, man, I need that, I want that, Jesus, please save me. And they get saved through God's witness, through you, all right? He will tell us, you don't know enough. Well, here's the question. What is the gospel? The gospel is that there's none of us that are good enough to get there by being good. And it's only through Jesus' goodness that He came and took our penalty. If we place our faith in Him, we are born again and changed. You can be the dullest knife in the drawer and you can get that. Amen? I mean, you, you can have... You can have you know, like one guy, he says, I spent the best eight years of my life in eighth grade. You know, like one of those is school was hard and whatnot. You can be a witness for Jesus Christ. You can be a firefighter and you can, as the Bible says, Jude 22 and 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I love Luke 15, if you're taking notes, where Jesus says, I'm, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a hireling. That means that when the wolves come, I don't run away and leave the sheep. That one sheep, remember? That was lost. Jesus said, that's me. I'm going to find it. So here's where that hits home for us. If we are true followers of Jesus Christ, that means that we seek out and bring lost people to Jesus Christ. Simple at the end of the day. I want to stop right here and we'll address this and move on. Those of you who have been in church for a while, you may have been raised in church. How often have things like this been emphasized? And how often, how many people have you brought to Jesus Christ? How many people have you shared the gospel with? Because we want to be very clear here. When we say bring people to Jesus Christ, you can only bring them to Jesus. You can't make them get saved. Amen? Alright? As much as you want to. Even if you could get a headlock and get a KJV and you kind of squeeze the head into the book of John, it's not going to work through force. But I want to question, ask you a question. How many people in the course of your church experience have you shared the gospel with? Most of the time, people have gone to church for years, but they've never shared the gospel with anybody. 
And if we're going to become real, genuine followers of Jesus Christ, it's got to change, folks. It's got to change from, and y'all do a great job with this, it's got to change from come with me to church on Sunday. It's got to change to you bringing Jesus to them on Tuesday night or on Wednesday morning or at work. I'm excited about our softball team. I think between Michael Thompson and myself, we've got about half the roster filled, and most of the guys are unbelievers. So some of you guys, church guys, we need the help. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be you know, winning the league. And, and by the way, the league is a great way to do outreach. It is not a sanctioned league, so that means, guys, you can bring all of your illegal softball bats. Get a witness. You can bring your four-inch metal cleats. It's going to be a great time to do outreach to guys and share the gospel there on the softball field. Then... Um, with people that we otherwise wouldn't be able to share the gospel with. Number one, we reject the idea that we simply gather friends around ourselves that are like each other. Secondly, we commit to truly care for our friends long term, which means to show concern for their eternal destiny. Go back to verse number 12 here with me. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's giving them clues and keys on how to interact with one another. And he says, I want you to show love to each other to the same degree that I have loved you. Think about all the things that Jesus did to love the disciples. He called them. He encouraged them. He had patience with them when they asked dumb questions. There's some of us in here that say, Jeff, I don't mind this or that, but one thing I can't handle is blatant, obvious, continued stupidity. Can I get an amen in the house? You say, I just, there's a certain point where I just want to hand them, as we talked a few weeks ago, just here's your son. You are dumb. Leave me alone. God loves you, but I'm frustrated with you. Leave me alone. All right. Here's the thing. Jesus loved them through all of that. Jesus showed them miracles. Jesus taught them the truth. So Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another. Then he gives that amazing verse in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than a man who lays down his life for his friends. You can't get any more sacrificial than that. Amen, church? It means if it came down to it, and you took the bullet, you jumped on the grenade, you jumped into the fire to save someone else from it, you end up getting killed. That means that you have given the ultimate example of love to them. And I just want to reference this one more time. With firefighters, there have been firefighters who have given their lives, check this out, not to rescue their friend, or their wife, or their husband, or their child, but to give their life to rescue someone they don't even know. Do you realize that we can see illustrations of the gospel in that? But here's the question. How many, us, how many of us actually care about our friend's eternal destiny? I would just, just, just being honest this morning, if it never crosses our mind, our friend is lost, they need to be saved, but we don't develop a plan that's a heart issue. It's called sin. It's called having a hard heart. And the Bible says you must repent of it today. It's not a joke. It's not just something that we hear at church. If we say that we're a friend, but we never do anything to bring them to Jesus, we're not truly a friend. Now, Jesus is talking to the disciples who all of which, except for Judas, are already in the boat. So think about this. If we're supposed to love people who are already in the lifeboat, and we've got this illustration over here with the lifesaver ring, how much more should we care for those who are drowning all around us? Imagine this. We all go on a cruise. Okay, and we are we are cruising along. All of a sudden, something happens. It's a rogue wave. The ship begins to go down, and in our minds, Titanic begins to replay. All right, everything is going down. People are freaking out, and then people are. There are a few lifeboats. We're pulling people into the lifeboat. People are being saved, but there's still many that are drowning. We're doing as much as we can, but then one person says, "You know what? 
We were in the same room on the ship. That's it. You're from, that's right. You're from Rocky Mount. I'm from Roanoke. Let's just, we've got some other Virginians here. Let's just form a Virginia Survivors Club church. And let's just, and then they begin, like everybody gets around, they begin telling stories about the Blue Ridge Parkway. They begin talking about how they love the seasons and the snow and how mild the summers are sometimes in Virginia. And then they kind of say, man, it's kind of loud out here. Now, this is, this is ad nauseum, this illustration. It's absurd, but go with me on it. All these people screaming. I wish they'd just leave us alone. We want to have a... You see, we're like each other. We enjoy each other's company. I connect with these people. And then there's maybe one person on a lifeboat that is consistently throwing out the lifesaver ring, pulling people into the boat time after time. But the majority says... Leave us alone. Do you know what? There's a, a statistic several years ago. and said that 92% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and are involved in church, 92% have never shared their faith. I don't know what your hobbies are, but I enjoy motorcycles. My mom calls them murder cycles. I enjoy them. And I was coming down 220 the other week, and there was a guy on a, it's called a crotch rocket. I mean, he was just, he was coming along, and I looked over, and he had on his visor. He was legal in Virginia, and I just gave him the sign, you know, like the shock, and I just looked over and went, like that. And he kind of gave me the head nod, and he went like that, and I went, yes, like, I support you. What you're doing is awesome. I wish I was on a motorcycle right now. I was just so excited to see that, and then he kind of popped the clutch, and he flew down 220. I mean, we're... We're, we're talking like faster than mom on a, on a, on a day after Thanksgiving sale, right? I mean, you're just flying. I was just like, man, that was awesome. I'm a pastor and I just induced someone to speed. That was not good. But I got so excited about those things. But here's the question. If we really believe in something, if we really love it, if we really get excited about it, we're going to talk about it, right? And when I was a kid, we, um, we would play basketball all the time. And we had one of those little trampolines, those little bitty ones, you know, the ones that you can run and jump and get air. And what we would do since we were um, we were kids and, and most of us were, were white and white men can't jump unless they have a trampoline. So we, we lowered the goal, all right? We, we, we lowered the goal. And then we would be able to dunk on it in our minds. We were Michael Jordan and all those guys. And But then when we would use... The trampoline, we could put the goal up where it should be and actually dunk with it that way. And I think often in church life, we have lowered the goal. Amen? We have lowered the goal to where it's like, well, Jesus says to reach out to people. But if I just go to church on Sunday morning, if I just give of my tithe, if I don't don't gossip about people, see where this is going? A list. If I keep the the do's and, and then I, I don't do the don'ts. If I, if I'm good, if I'm good, if I'm good, then maybe Jesus Santa Claus will leave me something other than coal on judgment day. See, a lot of people don't believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus Claus. It's a list. And if you're good, he gives you good things. And if you're bad, he gives you bad things. But we've lowered the goal to where being a follower of Jesus Christ means coming to an event on Sunday morning, but it doesn't affect how we live the rest of the week. And what Jesus is saying throughout all this is, look, guys, you guys are already in the boat. How much more should you love those who need to be in the boat? We all track in with that. This is huge, guys. Think about your friends who need Jesus Christ. See, when we truly commit to love people, it always gets messy. 
All right. I'm just going to be very honest. You say, Jeff, what if I really start being a witness for, 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 for Christ? What's going to happen is you're going to get and you're going to be able to live life with people and people that are not saved. Even people who are saved, they have messy, messy lives. That means that you are going to have a chance to give Jesus to someone that may take some of your precious, selfish time. You see, in order for us to move forward as a church and to be obedient as individual believers, we've got to become a church that soul wins. Real Christianity loves the undeserving enough to develop a plan to share Jesus with them. You see, God can use you in an amazing way because Jesus is telling his disciples, these guys that no one else chose, look, love one another. And he says there in verse number 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. You see, Jeff, how do we actually love our friends long term? Like, what does that mean? How do I bring Christ to my friends? Well, you have to commit to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus Christ. And we have this in your notes. I want to read it. It means not doing this out of a sense of of legalism, but grace-driven, heart-change obedience to Christ's commands that reveals that you are a friend of the King. You see, in the Old Testament, the only two people that were called friends of God were Abraham and Moses. But Jesus opens the door. He says, if you do what I command you, if you get saved and you allow me to work in your life, he says, you will be a friend of God. I remember when it was in, I was in, uh, in school, and it was this little place in South Alabama called Zach's. Anybody ever been there? I didn't think so. Tiny little bitty town of Slocum, Alabama. And we were there eating. It was a mom and pop's restaurant. And the word began to go through the ownership and then the waiters and waitresses. Evander Holyfield is coming to eat here. I was like, no way. And they were all, you know, freaking out. And so I was like, guys, a bunch of us guys, like, dude, Evander Holyfield is coming here. Aquí en Espanol. I mean, I was just like, it was awesome. And so he came and then I was able to, I, I walked up to him. I said, excuse me, sir. Do you mind if I get a picture? He said, sure. And so I stood right by Evander. My brother was, took a picture, but he had to delete. It was one of those things like old school phones where you, you, you get like one picture on there. It takes up all your space. So he had the picture he was trying to delete, freaking out, you know, thinking Evander was going to get mad. But it was one of those things I was able to shake the hand of Evander Holyfield, get a picture with me and him. And I I'm, I'm, wouldn't call myself his friend, but I got so close. But think about being a friend of God. That means that friends have each other's backs, right? That means when something goes down, if they are your friend, if you are their friend, you're going to be there financially for them. You're going to be there if somebody messes with them. Hey, go through me first. Those types of backup. Say, look, I love you and I am there for you. Think of how amazing it is to be a friend of God. The one who created everything. The one who keeps everything going. The one who loves us enough to continually give us the offer of obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. In Numbers chapter 16, if you want to write this down for your notes, in verses 47 and 48, Moses was interceding for the people. He stood between the living and the dead and he asked God to stop the plague. Do you realize that when you bring Jesus to your friend, to your coworker, to your acquaintance, that you are being an intercessor, you are standing in between. And then sometimes our, our, our thinkers will say, now, now hold on, Jeff. Isn't God sovereign? Isn't God in control? Yes. Well, why do I need to share the gospel? Well, you share the gospel because that is the God-ordained means to bring about God's sovereign end. 
Go with me on this, thinkers. It is not a violation of God's sovereignty if he tells you, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Share the gospel, preach the word, develop friendships, so forth and so on. It is not a violation of his sovereignty if you follow what he sovereignly told you to do to bring about his sovereign end. It is in connection with the sovereignty of God that we do what the sovereign God has told us. So before we share the gospel with people, there is uh, one myth from Tom Rainer's book. It's called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. It's myth number four, and that is that the unchurched cannot be reached by direct personal evangelism. Here's what he says in his study. He says, the formerly unchurched in our study left little doubt about the importance of personal evangelism in reaching the unchurched. Over one half indicated that someone from the church they joined had shared Christ with them. Another 12% told us that someone other than a member of the church they joined personally evangelized them. Only one-third of the formerly unchurched said that no one made an attempt to share Jesus Christ one-on-one. It actually works if you share the gospel. Often we say, well, that person would never come to church. But based upon Tom Rainer's research, which is wide, He says, most people, if they are your friend, you say, hey, look, I really want you to come to church with me. Would you come? They will come if you reach out to them. Here's what Richard Baxter says again. He says, we have to deal with distracted men who fly in the face of their physician or their doctor, but we must not therefore neglect their cure. He is unworthy to be a physician who will be driven away from a frantic patient by foul words. Now imagine this. We go to the ER. And some of you are blood and guts people, and some of you say, if I get a hangnail, I'm about to pass out. All right? They're the different types of people. Imagine we go there, and someone comes in, they are busted up, they are bleeding, they are badly injured. And the doctor comes in, and the doctor's trying to work on them. And the person's just mad, they're hurt, they're scared, and they start to tell the doctor off. And the doctor said, how dare you say that to me? My feelings are hurt. And then the doctor walks away. We would say, that's insane. The doctor, if he's truly a good doctor, will not be pushed away by the patient trying to reject what he's doing. So, Jeff, okay, how do we actually do this? Write this down. Number one, we use existing connections. How do we bring the gospel to our friends? We use existing connections. In other words, we use our connections at work. We use our social hangout group as a springboard or a trampoline to elevate the friendship to the to the gospel um a good example of this would be several years ago when I was teaching philosophy at a secular college in South Carolina before I moved up here and I for their one of their projects uh, it was a project like all of life's greatest questions like do you know where you would go when you die do you think that there is anything after life do you think that heaven and hell are real and answer this from a philosophical standpoint well I received an email from a student named Jesse Martin, and he said, Professor Robinson, this is an interesting assignment, but I would like to ask you, sir, do you know where you would go if you died today? This is so cool. This is like right out of the gate before. Any of them knew I was a believer? And he began to go through what God had done in his life. And check this out, students. He sent an email to his professor at a secular college campus asking his professor if he knew Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Amen? I was just like, man, that is so cool. So I told him in class, I was like, man, that was so great. I said, I'm I'm a believer. He said, I've been saved for about a year. So what would happen is after the class, like we had this one uh, atheist we would talk to, and he'd come in like, man, it's, wow, 
like before I thought there's no God and and now I'm not sure. I think there may be, but I, I just don't. Wow. I, and he was just one of those guys that's kind of almost halfway stoned when he talks. And so what would happen is he would talk to me and then Jesse would come over as a student and share the Christ with him. That is an amazing example. Listen, don't be afraid of professors. Don't be afraid of your classmates. Don't be afraid of your co-workers. You just be an ambassador for Christ to them. And then you use existing connections to establish a specific time to share the gospel. Now, we're in the South, and this is a Baptist church, so we know about food. Amen? All right, we, 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 got, we got food, Ph.D., 101, 401, 301, 90, All right, we've got food down. So here's the thing. One thing that you may use is if you set up that time to share the gospel with your friend, have them over to eat if you can cook. And if you can't cook... Bring them out to eat. Go, go take them to get some coffee. Or, or maybe for you guys, it's a, duck hunting is a great way to share the gospel because you've got a gun and you're in a boat. So if they want to get out, they can, they can do that. Whatever it is, you set that up. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't use coercion to bring people to Jesus Christ. Use some way to, to get them together and then you just break it down. Here's the way that, this is the most difficult part. People say, Jeff, how do we, how do we bridge that gap of going from baseball to Jesus or shopping to Christ? How, how, how do you just bring it up? Often I've found this is a very good way to do it, especially if it's your friend. Say, look, this may be somewhat random, but there's something I've really wanted to talk to you about. Um, it's about my faith. This, this may be totally off the wall, but in the first question is say, do you know where you would go if you died today? Not trying to be morbid, not trying to be weird, but, but this is something I've wanted to share with you. Do you know where you would go if you died today? And all, most people, if they're honest, they don't know, or they, if they're not saved, they'll say, well, I have a pretty good idea and it's not where I would want to be. Then you say, assuming that God exists, and you died today and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What do you think you would say? And it's usually good if you do that question to just say, now look, that's a hard question or you may still be working on that. But give them a chance to answer. Because here's the thing. If they give you an answer like, well, what would I say if God asked me, why should I let you into heaven? And they give an answer like, well, I have gone to church. I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. That's classic rich young ruler, right? The guy who Jesus said was, was not saved and could not get saved until he realized that he was not good. So that will give you an idea of where the conversation would need to go. And then go, just go where the master say, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Most people do, right? Especially if they're your friend. But yeah, I think I'm a good person. Then ask them the second question. Do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? And those of you who have gone through the course know, know where this is going. And they say, well, you know, probably mostly you say, well, you know, have you ever... And if, if, if you if you're, go way back in the friendship, say, look, this was me. Bible says you should not bear false witness. You shall not lie. Have you ever lied? I know I have. All right. What does that make me? Y'all tell me. A... Liar, okay? And they say, you know, and Jesus says you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That, that's Old Testament and New Testament. There have been times in my life I've, you know, get mad and say these words and Jesus Christ and blankety blank all together. Or I've been a hypocrite. I've gone to church and it's not been real. I've gone through the motions. 
In our, our youth study this morning, we read from uh, Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus says these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That means you could be a church member. You come here every single Sunday, never say a cuss word, but simply it's going through the motions. You sing the songs, you read the scripture, but your heart is a million miles away from the Lord. You can confess that to them and just go through another one of the verses like Jesus says, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, but... If you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. Say, man, I've I've done that before. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 5 that if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. Say, look, this is heavy stuff, but I wanted to talk to you about it. Say, you realize that you and me both, we're liars, we're blasphemers, we're murderers of the heart. And that's that's only three of the Ten Commandments. And then ask them the question, once they realize that they are a sinner, because often when you talk to people, they think that they're good, right? Well, I'm good based upon that person that I know. I'm not as bad as my father was. I'm a better whatever it is. But they have to see themselves as simply relating to God as being an absolute sinner on their way to hell. So then you ask them the question, um, if God judged you by the Ten Commandments, would you be innocent or guilty? Well, if He judged me by the Ten Commandments... I would be guilty. And the Ten Commandments are not valid simply because we have ten fingers and God said, well, I gave him ten fingers, I gave him ten rules. It is an extension of God's character. For example, the reason why the Bible says do not bear false witness is because Jesus is truth, you see. The reason why we're not supposed to uh, unjustly take life is because God's the giver of life. The reason why we're not supposed to dishonor and take God's name in vain is because God's name is to be honored and lifted up. The reason why we're not supposed to uh, commit adultery or look in lust is because God is faithful. It's the character of God. The reason why we're, we're supposed to, the Bible says, do not covet, do not be greedy, is because God says, I will give you all that you need. He's the great Father. So when they see themselves as violating God's law, then you ask them the big question. Would you go, if God judged you by the Ten Commandments, you would be guilty, would you go to heaven or hell? At this point, people are like, well, I, but God's a, God's a forgiving God, right? right when, they get, when they get a way out. God's a forgiving God, isn't he? You say, well, well, yes, he is, but his forgiveness is not automatic. His forgiveness had to be pur- purchased at a price. Explain Jesus to them and then ask them the question, do you know what God did so that no one would have to go to hell and make much of the love and the grace of God? Explain that to them. Explain repentance. Say, look, it's not just, I'm not, I'm not just saying I want you to come to church. I don't, I don't just want you to become a, a baptized person in this pool back here, but you have to repent and turn away and give control of your life to Jesus Christ. That's what being saved is. And place their faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And what will happen when we truly get concerned for our friends? We will develop a plan. We will find ways to learn. Some of you work uh, really late and far away. But I encourage you, if you are in town, come to our Wednesday night. That will enable you to handle um, all sorts of objections and the questions that we have to share the gospel. It will help you. I remember in Iron City, Georgia, when I was a pastor there, there was a man named uh, Mr. Billy. He was a lost farmer. He had one of these guys who had never really been to church before at all. And then someone told me his wife had come to church. And they said, he's lost, never come to church. And I said, all right, I'm going to go try to visit him. It's one of those things where I walked into his house. And, this is, and by the way, people get reputations for being a non-church person, a non-Jesus person. And to the failure of the church, sometimes we believe it and we pass over them. 
Shame on us. I said, I'm going to try to go. Walked into his house and the man broke down. Tough man. Man who'd worked in the fields all of his life. And I just went through very basic Jesus. Mr. Billy bowed his head, began to weep, and asked God for forgiveness and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He was in church every Sunday after that. And I thought, this is no credit to me, but how many people have I known? I said, oh, they wouldn't be interested. They don't even come to church. And we pass over them when they are just dying and waiting, saying, would someone please bring up these issues of heaven, of hell, of Jesus? But they don't know how to do it. That's why God has called us to do it. Let's be a church that says, you know what? I will not allow my friends to go to hell. I'm going to bring Jesus to them no matter what it takes. And I'm going to love them into the kingdom of God. I'm not going to be a person who sits with the people that I know that are like me. That we've been together for years on the lifeboat. But instead, I'm going to stand on the stern and I'm going to throw this lifesaver ring time and time again. Spread the seed time and time again and know that it is God who brings the increase. Don't ever let Satan or let people put you down by a lack of results. It is your job and it's my job to spread the seed, to take the lifesaver ring and throw it to as many people as we can. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our time of commitment and today is primarily for the believer. If God has shown you, believer, that there has been a huge gap missing in your life, and that has been the fact that you have not yet shared Jesus with your friends. You may have even invited them to church, but you know that God is pulling upon you and leading you to share the gospel with them. If that is you right now, just between you and the Lord, say, Father, I commit myself to developing a plan, to learning how to share my faith. And I will, through your power, bring the gospel to my friends. And I do not want to be a friend who allows mine to slip into hell unwarned and uncared for. Just right now. If there is any, confess a hardness of heart, any lack of concern that should be there. Ask God to give you the power of a soul winner. And there may be some here today and you say, Jeff, man, when you went through the law and all that, I was like the Ten Commandments, man, I'm guilty. I, I need Jesus in my life. I'm the one. I'm not the one who needs to be spreading it right now. I'm the one who needs it. I need, I need Jesus today. The Bible says if you turn from your sin... And you place your faith in Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved right now. Give your life to him. Say, God, I'm giving it to you. I no longer want to be in control. I'm asking you to save me now. Please save me, God.